This is Powers on Policing, the podcast that presents an inside look at the dedicated people who work in the criminal justice system. Your host is Bill Powers, retired state police detective lieutenant, active educator, and published author. Hello, my name is Jordan Rich, and I'm honored to play a small part in the development of this podcast series. We're talking about this new podcast, and uh, we've already touched on a lot of issues that you're concerned with. Let's focus in on the audience that we're talking to, because it's not just police officers or wannabe police officers, but it's people in the law enforcement field of some type or another. Could be investigators, could be on the judicial side. And it's certainly citizens who need to know more about this and want to know more about this. But how do you break down the audience mix? As we go forward, that's going to be the interesting part because I want it to be interesting to everybody. I want people that even work in the fields we're going to talk about to be interested about what we talk about. But I think the main focus is to break it down so that everyday people who aren't directly in the system understand how the system works. We are human beings, all of us, all of throughout the, the criminal justice system, but in, in, in life, in the world itself, we're all human beings. Um, when people see us today, they're more likely to break out into a sweat than they had to break into a smile um, for whatever those reasons are. And um, our job is to confront that situation and, and, and try to do the best that we can with it. And as an educator in this area, since the early 1980s in law enforcement, you can comment on this. I don't think enough people understand how much schooling police officers, general police officers, men and women, have to go through and do go through to do the jobs effectively. Mm -hmm. Well, you know, uh, if you want to be a a police officer today uh, under the current system, and the current system is like two years old with the police reform and and, uh, the post system, which quite honestly, we've wanted for decades and have been said no. And all of a sudden, what happens in Minnesota creates uh, an opportunity for a post reform. And we look at it uh, not as a reform, but but as, as giving us what we've been asking for to better our educational system within. You, you start off, no matter where, well, a local department of the state police, you go through a 26-week academy. The state police academy is residential. You get to go home on weekends, but you're there 6 o'clock Monday morning, and you get to home 4 o'clock Friday afternoon. And it, it creates a great environment and allows it to build camaraderie. When I went through the academy 49 years ago Saturday, um, it was 16 weeks, 17 weeks, and we thought it went forever. So now add more nine more weeks to that, and quite honestly, that's not enough to get done what needs to be done. And then every year there is in-service training that we all need to go through, some of it mandated, some of it we create, Um, anything that's new, any changes in the law, any, and those become actually immediate, the changes in the law. And now thankfully, you know, with Online Academy, you can get some information out there sooner. Um, But it's a never-ending thing. For me, I went to law school not because I grew up thinking I want to be a lawyer. I I grew up thinking I want to be a cop. Uh, And I didn't see, quite honestly, I didn't see the need for education. I would argue with my dad, who was a Boston police officer, who went back and got his, his bachelor's and his master's degree before there was a Quinn bill because he wanted to be educated. He wanted to do the best job he could. And I'm slow to the, the start line anyway. Mm-hmm. And once I got, you know, two years on the department, I realized I, I got to go back to school. I got, this all makes sense to me now. This uh, podcast is intended to reach a lot of audiences, including students, high school, and teachers in that area. Mm-hmm. For people who want a career that is exciting and rewarding, oftentimes law enforcement is it, but we're not getting that kind of 
application process going because of the negative publicity. So mm-hmm. is one of your hopes to inform and educate and maybe inspire people to think about it as a career? Absolutely. Uh, and and I wanted, you know, we, we kind of, through the decades, have got hooked into this. Well, you got to go and you got to get a degree in criminal justice and you got to do this. And you, and, and that that's a great degree to have. I'm not, I'm not knocking it at all. It's the one I have. Uh, in this environment we're in now, a degree in any of the um, the technical services is super important. If you want to come on the department and you want to do the kind of investigative work that requires the you know the computers and the cell phones and the, and all of the things that go with it, which is incredibly important to investigations, you want a degree in that. Or if you're getting a degree in that, you go, I don't know what I'm going to do. What am I going to do with this? You know. This is a place you might want to look. And when you started as a patrolman, it was the early days, and it was pre-laptops, pre-internet. <laughs> I, I don't want to date you too far back. But today, you're dealing with high tech. You're dealing with a lot mm. of computer technology that a lot of the younger people are already accustomed to. You know, I, I think when I'm doing some of the teaching at the academy that, oh, they're not going to get this, they're not going to get that. They are head and shoulders and leaps and bounds, you know, above where I am. And even, you know, on a... On a sort of a similar topic, they get issued their body-worn cameras early on in the academy, and they start wearing them just to get used to it, just the familiarity of it all, which is fabulous. They have no problem with it. Everybody thought, oh, yeah, we're going to give the cops the body cams now. We'll see what they're doing now. Every police officer I know embraced it. I'm not saying it's not um, like a, a nuisance at times to be lugging the thing around and having it on at the right times and all that. That's all part of that. But as far as what it's done, for the level of investigations and um, how it's played out has been really, really positive. It's actually been a morale booster Absolutely. when you look at it that way. Absolutely. Absolutely. You know? Let's just talk a bit about something you're going to talk about often, and that is the impression people have of police. And you mentioned it earlier. You get pulled over immediately. You tense up and all that. Mm-hmm. And that's been the case forever because you know you sped yeah. or you know you did something or ran a stop sign. But in general, when police show up to a neighborhood and they come under attack, people throw bottles at them or just uh, sneer at them. I mean, that's a far cry from the days when I was a child and you showed respect to an officer of the law. (laughs) Absolutely. This is a a point that you want to address and maybe take a look at ways in which the image can be improved and people might not have that sense of fear, dread, and uh, disrespect. Very true. And – Again, I'm hoping this is a podcast among many podcasts that people will start to listen and and understand that, look, I've been pulled over my share of times in my life, and I get nervous when a police officer pulls me <laughs> over. So it's not, you know, whether it's in this state or another one, it's a, it's a natural feeling, but it doesn't mean that what's about to happen is a bad thing. You know, the overwhelming majority of encounters is we've got a phone call that there's a problem and to respond to the problem. And, you know, there was a, a shooting a couple of years ago, and Willie Gross at the time was the superintendent in the Boston Police Department, and he was present. And there was a guy with a camera yelling, uh, yelling, yelling, yelling. The Boston Police Officer had been shot and was lying on the ground. And this guy's yelling about cops and, and um, not, nothing mm-hmm. positive. And Willie mm-hmm. just turned to him and said, do you, do you understand what I just said to you? And do you understand I have a police officer been shot? We don't care. We don't care. You know, and that's kind of an eye-opener for a lot of us. Um, you know, at that time, like— the hell's going on? Well, getting fellow officers, whether they're still in the field or retired, to talk about this, and you talk about it so freely and openly, mm-hmm. is really what this podcast can help to do. I would dare say most people, their yeah. impression of police officers is law and order, and that's Hill Street, about it. Hill, Hill Street Blues and, you know, uh, yeah, all, all of the bad stuff that goes with it. 
and and so kind of as a not a sidelight, but I, I certainly have my idea of programs and things that that I hope we're going to be able to to carry out. But I also want people to realize: send me a, send me an email. It's going to be you know it, it's going to be made readily available to everybody. On if you go to the Powers on Policing website, there's a you can go right in through that. It comes right into my email from that. If you've got ideas, if you disagree with me, tell me you disagree with me. If you think you'd make a good guess and we may have opposite opinions, let me know and we'll work that out. If you've got questions like, geez, you know, there's a current case that's going on and I'm, I'm questioning eyewitness identification or I'm questioning search and seizure or what's a no-knock? I don't quite understand what that means. I want to address that. I want to address with people what people want to have addressed. Again, it's all part of that dialogue. It's not me telling you what I want to tell you. I'm, I'm telling you what I know, but I also want to hear from you to tell me what it is that you don't know that you want to know. You say, simply put, they, meaning police officers, are you and you are them. We're talking now to a wide audience across the world when we do a podcast like this. Mm-hmm. And uh, you can be a gendarme, you can be a Bobby, or you can be a, a police officer in South Boston. Mm-hmm. You're all human beings. Exactly right. That's the point it, you want to it, get across. Exactly right. And, you know, there's a when we were new in college in your first class in criminal justice, you learned about Sir Robert Peel from England and his, his nine rules of uh, principles of policing. And you learned it and it was in a test and you answered the questions and you sold the book and you bought beer and such. And then the first week in the academy, you hear about it as well. Go, yeah, yeah, I was 200 years ago. Every one of his nine principles is perfect for today. And part of that is a big part of, the, of that one of them is we, rep, we, are, we are you and you are us. We serve because um, at some point I'll read the nine of them out if you want. I'm not one to want to read things, but they're all, every one of them has a point. But we work for the government and, and we do, and you elect the government. And so they appoint us and we carry out the laws and the rules as the government wants them carried out. We may not agree with some of the rules that we carry out. It doesn't matter. We're, that's what we're sworn to do. Um, and that's part of the, our way to protect you. And so when people get angry and, you know, how come I get stopped at 75 and they were doing 85? I can't answer that. You know what I mean? But you were doing 75 and I was trying to pull you over and you kept increasing your speed. I mean, you can go through all that stuff, right? Um, But it's understanding that that, um, without without the support of the public, then we have nothing. Another important aspect of all this is self-care for police officers, whether it's on a local level or a national level. The stress level, the emotional stress, the physical wear and tear, families breaking up. This is a serious issue among a lot of professions, but particularly in stressful ones like police officers. Something you want to address as well. Absolutely. And, you know, I'd say in the last decade, we've started to pay more attention to it. And part of it is that, you know, we're cops, we're the tough guys, you know, we, we see an awful lot, we do an awful lot, you know, we're just soldier on, we, you know, we're not, we're not troubled by any of that. And honestly, everybody, we're human beings. Everybody's got a beaten heart and a brain and, and uh, emotions and um, some people are affected mm-hmm. in different ways at different times. And there are all kinds of innovative programs that are being adopted that I, I know you're going to share with us that yep. I think will awaken a lot of people to it. Uh, people in rural areas should know about this, that cities are taking it upon themselves to help police officers be proactive mm-hmm. in this regard. M- much, much, much yeah. more. One of our guests will be Terry Cunningham from the Inter- – he's the chief operating officer from the International Association of Chiefs of Police. And this year's conference will probably almost be 50 percent because they listen to – you know, they, they get the finger in the pulse, so to speak. Officer wellness is the number one issue, and it ties in to, to recruitment and retainment. 
um, and and all that goes with that. You know, uh, there's a reason we can't recruit the way we used to be able to because the job is no longer looked at as a good job. Mm. You know, and and one of the, you know this is kind of a satellite that never really gets talked about. But you you take what's going on over the last few years, throw COVID into the middle of it. So now the children of police officers are home all day, right? They're not they're not going anywhere. The news is on, and they're looking at all these demonstrations and they're seeing everybody getting yelled at, screamed at, um, that are police officers, and they can't understand why. And then their their mommy or daddy puts on the uniform and goes to report to work to go to one of those situations, and the kids are terrified. Mm. It's created all kinds mm. of mental health issues for little kids because they love their parents and they don't want to mm. see them get hurt. And they can't understand because they think their parents have this wonderful profession, and how come everybody hates them? There's one more aspect I want to bring up in terms of the audience. We've covered a lot of the audience already, but the one additional segment are the folks who love to hear about true crime. They're fascinated by it. And you are a true crime author, and not a novelist, but you write like their novels. Mm -hmm. I know that's going to be something that listeners will enjoy hearing occasionally some of your colleagues in the true crime area and mystery writers, even even fictional writers, because ultimately everything is a story, and some of the greatest Mm -hmm. stories, the most engaging stories, involve crime, unfortunately. Mm -hmm. No, absolutely. I I became sort of an advocate. When Tom Brokaw first came out with uh, um, The Greatest Generation, mm. and, and I started a thing with my dad, and unfortunately my dad's passed uh, 12 years ago. However, I have video and audio interview about his, his young life leading up into policing and, and through policing. So I've, honestly, I haven't looked at him, but I want to I be able to watch him and I want to be able to, to um, bring my grandchildren to, into that as well. So, so sort of because of that, and be, uh, there's, there's also I, so I started taking writing lessons, and then I saw an old proverb that I love that says, "When an old man dies, a library burns to the ground." So mm. if we don't record these parts of history that are so important, then they're lost forever. And the next generation, they don't know what they don't know because we didn't teach them. And so I took it upon myself to write a book that took me six years, and I can't tell you how many weekends and hours and all that <laughs> went into it. But it, it was about a, a homicide case. Um, that I investigated with the other people in my office in the Malden Police Department. And it's a, it's a true crime account right down to every word in that is, is, is the truth. It has to be. It's not true crime, right? Um, but but it, it was an expression of, of that kind of way I'm here today is, is um, we need, if we don't tell the story, the story goes away. And it wasn't just about – and when I started writing that, I was thinking, oh, this would be a great story about our unit. And then I came to realize, well, wait a minute. This is a great story about the forensic scientists that we work with from all different facets, from fire and explosion units, you know, up, up and through, you know, DNA, fingerprints, all of that. And then I said, you know what? This is more about the district attorney who channeled this case from the beginning through the court system. And then I thought, you know, this is about the victim more than it's about any of us. And it, so as I went along with it, it, it just brought to light so many different things that I, I really hadn't considered at the very beginning. Um, and I loved every every minute of it. I really did. And reestablished with the victim's family, um, which had been a rocky road at the beginning. And something, again, I want people to read it to see what happens when you can talk to people and they can talk to you and you can reassure them that everything uh, is being done that can be done. So anyway, as a result of that, I did write the book, trying to encourage more and more police officers to write. And I, I came across a an organization called Public Safety Writers of, of America, uh, the Public Safety Writers Association, I'm sorry. 
there's not just police officers, but people involved in the criminal justice system are members of this. They're clearly all writers. Um, but we interact on the internet. We're going to have a, a conference uh, next month, and I'll get to meet these people for the very first time. But they kind of have the same mindset that I do, you know. And, and there are some that are writing mysteries, so they're taking – I like to say this. I could do the same thing. They're taking actual cases that they worked on and turning them into fiction. That way you get to end them the way that you want them to. Yes. <laughs> um, and, uh, you know, I, I, could, I could write more than my hand of those. I think they bring a good story as well, and I think if anybody's listening to the podcast that has an interest in writing, and maybe they don't, but maybe they will now. I want more people doing it. I want the more we, we can document, the better it is for our future. You've been listening to Powers on Policing with Bill Powers, retired state police detective lieutenant, active educator, and published author. Please subscribe and download this podcast available on all platforms, and we would greatly appreciate your ratings and reviews. Find out more at powersonpolicing.com.